All right, welcome back to the Metric Stack podcast. Today, I'm really happy to be joined by Pablo Screw, a principal at Mistral Venture Partners and early stage VC. Prior to Mistral, Pablo co-founded fitness technology startup GymTrack and was also the founder and CEO of MyTutor.ca, which was acquired in 2014. Pablo is also the host of the Product Market Fit Show, a podcast where he shares real stories and examples of the journey to finding product market fit. I'm also joined by my colleague, Lauren Thibodeau, and my name is Alan Villa. Pablo, super happy to have you today. Alan, Lauren, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Well, thanks uh, to you as well, Pablo, and let's get started. So today we're going to talk about the Sean Ellis test. Before we dive into the details of that, can you just set the stage for us? Like, what's the context we should have in mind as we're listening to this conversation today? For sure. So, uh, you know, we at Mistral were seed stage investors. We work with companies, really companies that are pre-product market fit, all the way from idea, pre-seed seed. You know, they tend to be companies that have 5, 10, 20 employees. They tend to have anywhere from no revenue to maybe a million dollars in revenue. But I think the most important thing is their pre-product market fit, because if they were, you know, they'd be able to raise a series A. There'll be a much larger round than the sort of rounds we we tend to lead, which are kind of like these $3 million rounds. And so, you know, this metric that we'll talk about today is really in that context of, let's think of a 10 or so person startup that, you know, has customers, but doesn't have product market fit yet, or doesn't know if they have product market fit yet, wants to measure how much product market fit they have. That's where this kind of comes in. So the story is, I mean, you guys see lots and lots of pitches, like all the time. I mean, I can't even imagine what a, a seed stage VC's inbox looks like. But, you know, they're coming, they're, they're presenting things with lots of confidence. So you, you need some sort of a, a formulaic way of understanding if this idea, you know, has some fit in the market. I know that the metric that we're talking about is called the Sean Ellis test. Sean Ellis is actually kind of a big deal, and maybe we can talk about him as well. But describe to me, Pablo, what, what is this metric? Yeah, definitely. Maybe just you know, backing up, we, we see probably a thousand companies a year. We meet with two hundred or so founders. The founders we meet with again, they don't have product market fit, so it'd be great if they track this metric. They probably don't. I would argue my my objective would be to get founders that are past our stage, like in between that seed to Series A, and their whole goal is okay. If you just think about the you know, before I dive into the to the metric, like the stages of a company, right? From inception to pre-seed. And I like to think of it in terms of fundraising, even though, of course, you can bootstrap a company, but it just kind of sets some clear milestones. If you think pre-seed, it's kind of this team market fit. You've got a team, small team, co-founding team. You've got a market and a problem set you're going after, and you're starting to build product. You think about Series A, that's where you have clear product market fit in a large or really fast-growing market. And the in-between is kind of you no know, proven value prop is how we'd like to think of seed. So yeah, the team there, the product's there. You have this value prop you thought you were going to, they had a hypothesis around delivering. You're starting to deliver that value prop. Now you need to go from this, okay, yeah, I've got some customers and they're getting value. So I'm delivering on the value prop to, do I have clear product market fit? The symptoms of which are extremely fast growth, extremely great retention, et cetera, et cetera. The question becomes, you know, how do you measure product market fit? And that's where the, the Sean Ellis test comes in. And it's really, really simple. I think that the best use case of it was superhuman and, you know, the, the new kind of email and they wrote a whole thing about it. Um, but at, at the very basic level, it's a one question survey and you ask your, your customers. And this is really good for direct consumer B2B SaaS because the reality is if you're enterprise, 
or even maybe mid-market, at the stage that we're talking about, you have one customer, you know, four customers. It's a really small data set, right? And so it's much better if you have, it is a better fit, better or worse for the companies that are more long tail, you know, even though you only do 10, 20, 40K MRR, you have hundreds of customers, right? So the question is very simply, how would you feel if you could no longer use our product? And there's only three potential answers, very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, and not disappointed. And product market fit, and of course, this is not a science, but you know, we kind of think product market fit is that more than 40% of respondents say very disappointed. The higher, the better, of course. So that's the metric. I'll stop there, but, but obviously can, can start diving deeper. I, I remember that superhuman article, and, and that's probably the first time that we learned about this, this concept. And, and I actually didn't even know that it was called the Sean Ellis test, but it was sort of that article, I think it was 2018, that actually got a lot of, a lot of buzz. And I think a lot of people started thinking about this really simple test. Now, I just want to pause on a few things that you said, because it's actually pretty important. So you, you do need to be beyond that really initial stage. You need to have customers. And as you said, preferably we have a, a, an environment where you have more customers as opposed to a few very highly paying customers. So we need some statistical relevance here as we're asking that question. So I suspect that this is, a, this is something that as you guys start making investments early on, you're saying, okay, make sure that you guys are running the Sean Ellis test to gain valuable insight. Well, that's exactly right. And it depends on the sort of company. I mean, we've done companies that are enterprise software. They'll raise a series A with like two customers or three customers because they just signed a deal that's worth seven figures. And now the question is, and that's product market fit, right? And you really only need to do that three, four more times to raise a B. And so that's kind of the, this is not the right test for that situation. We have other companies, you know, we have direct consumer company in our portfolio right now that we just doubled down on. They have they're still early, like it's just seed stage, but they have a hundred customers. Okay. You can start, start, you know, you can really plus a hundred customers active. You've got obviously some that were not active before. So you've got enough to start running this. SMB SaaS is another good place where, you know, you got companies paying you a few hundred dollars a month. Again, it's not that, it's not that uncommon that you'll have hundreds of those. So that's, those are good places to, to think about using this kind of a test. And there's also, I know in, in, as we were kind of prepping and reading more about the Sean Ellis test, there are a couple other criteria that it's really important, I think we understand to have, right? That customers have used the product recently. They've gone in a couple of times. Can you talk about that a little bit and why that's important? Absolutely. So the test is really simple. How you execute it is where it gets more nuanced. And the thing is, you're trying to figure out product market fit. And so that has to do with your product. It has to do with the market. So what you talk about, which is who do you send that to is almost, you're kind of segmenting that market. Now you might start, especially if you're early on and you, let's say have 200 customers, you might send it to, to all of them, but then you start to drill down and you could do it in different ways. I mean, you could only just set it to the subset that meets this criteria, or you could send it to all of them and just get the data anyways. Either way, you then start segmenting and saying, okay, let's say on my 200 customers, I only have 20% that will be very disappointed. But if I look at the, the set of customers that was active la last month, that's actually used it a few times, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that's only 50 customers. In that bucket, I'm at 40%. So you have product market fit within some bucket. And that's, and that's the key thing. I mean, if you think about it simply, like if somebody's not using your product, you know, they're probably not going to be very disappointed. And then you also have to ask, 
does their opinion even really matter? I mean, that's like asking anybody, would you care if my product went away? By the way, here's what my product is. Like you want people who really are using your product. I'm not saying every day, it depends on the frequency of use of your product, but who are interacting with the product, who are seemingly getting value out of the product, right? They're genuine customers and users. And it's fresh enough in their mind that, you know, ideally they know, they, they remember it. And th that's really the set you're going after. And that's why it becomes, you know, pretty valid. Like if, if you've got people using it this month and there's a hundred of them and only 10% would be very disappointed, you know, something's up, right? How come 90% don't really care if your product went away and yet they're using it? What does that say about the poll? I can definitely see that we would want to constrain for that, that control. So, you know, every time you run this test and presumably you would want to run this uh, more than once, you want to sort of see how you're trending. I think you'd probably want to be relatively precise about the group that you're actually measuring, because I can see if you include users that have only signed in, in the past month, as opposed to the users that have signed in, in the past week, or users that have only signed in once, as opposed to 10 times, I can imagine that skewing the numbers quite a bit. So I don't know what exactly the right answer it is. It probably, it probably depends a little bit on, as you said, the use case. But I think companies that start measuring it should be consistent every time that they measure it so that they can compare this value. I agree. I think part of it comes down to what question are you answering, right? If the question is just, do I have product market fit? That's one thing. But typically, it's not so much like black, white, do I have product market fit or do I not? It's more like, where and with which types of customers do I have the most product market fit, right? Where's the pull really coming from? So give me an example of a company selling into vertical X and they have some SMBs, they have some mid-market, they have some large mid-market, and then they've got different, that's like maybe types, maybe geographies, and then you have like demographic type stuff, but then you have how people actually engage with the product, right? People that, companies that are truly using it every day, companies that have really distributed to the entire workforce, others that don't, it's just managers using it, so on and so forth, right? So again, you might send it to all of them and then start dicing and saying, and, trying to, and part of the exercise, not so much, do I have it or do I not? It's where do I have it? And then you find out, okay, actually it's mid-market in, in this geography that's using it in this way, at least however many times per day or per week or whatever. And that's where my very disappointed is up to 50, 60%. Well, that's interesting. How do I get more of those or how do I get that for everybody else? These are the sort of questions you start to... Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, right away, I started thinking about this is, this is really the next segue to kind of the positioning exercise, right? Because if, if you're coaching your companies to then really segment, you want to find that group where it's like, it's like 80%, 90% would be very disappointed. You know, and that may be a small group, but maybe it's the tip of an iceberg that really has massive product market fit. They're the best fit customers. You know, you start positioning, messaging, and getting more and more of those. So I think being able to segment that is almost as important as getting the number in the first place. It's totally right. I mean, if you look at the superhuman example, it's exactly what they did. They discarded, you know, even to this day, if you sign up for superhuman, you go through this pretty heavy onboarding and they start asking all these qualifying questions around, you know, how many emails do you get per day? How do you use your email technology today? What problems do you have? And so on. And so, you know, they have a pretty clear objective. Like they want to be the email platform that's premium, that's for this type of use case. And the idea is that there's enough of those to build a massive business on top of it. But if you're not in the use case, they don't want to start, you know, dealing with you on a customer success side, on a product side and so on and so forth. So it is that that's part of the exercise that 
this sort of question leads you to and helps you with. Yeah, I want to pick up on that and and maybe a bit of a zig away from this discussion, just into the mechanics. People are, you know, this is a survey-based metric and people get a lot of surveys these days. Are you seeing any change, either increase, decrease, staying flat in just response rate to asking a question like that? And do you have any thoughts around, should we always ask this question in isolation? Should it be part of a sequence of questions? What are your thoughts on that? Are people getting surveyed out? I think people are getting, you know, surveyed out, emailed out, everything out, right? Like it's just, there's so much noise out there. And that's where, again, in, I think in an ideal world, you might as well send it to everyone, like in an ideal world with no constraints, send it to everyone all the time. And you have a lot of data and then you slice and dice it however you want, right? In a real world with constraints, you end up sending it less and to those who are most into it because those are the most likely to respond. Somebody who hasn't logged into product a month gets an email from you with this question, they probably ignore it, right? Somebody who was on your product today and loves it gets this question and they're like, okay, I'll answer them because I'm getting value from them, right? And so that starts to also hone you in on realistically, these are the type of people you can go after, which are customers that are using it, that are active, um, that get the value. And then, you know, the other questions, in general, the less, the better. That's why you do want to pick out, like, to the extent that you're getting data by actually asking your customers to do something. It's like, what is the one question or three questions that I need to ask them? And, you know, I think if you're searching product market fit, this this is probably maybe, in my opinion, it's the question. We've experimented with, you know, we, we do surveys via emails. We do surveys, uh, you know, in-app. As you said, there's so much noise out there, um, you know, and I think finding somewhere where that survey journey is super easy you know it's in context and then again applying that consistently because for every email that you're sending there may be a different email that you want to get down the road that you know again like that fatigue is is something real um i've also read articles that say exactly that send more email right so who who, who knows that's right you have to test stuff but this is the kind of metric that i would argue is not you don't need to measure this every day. You don't need to measure this every week. Like this is changing relative to your customer base changing and it's changing relative to like meaningful product changes, most of which are happening, I think at most on like a quarterly basis. Yeah, and I think what's really nice about it is it's quick. It's super, super simple. Like how disappointed would you be, you know, if this product wasn't around anymore? You know, that's it. You know, it's not a multi-page form here. This is super simple. And I think that always wins. Is there a point at which you would recommend companies stop asking that? Or is that a valid question throughout the customer lifecycle? I don't know that I would I would necessarily stop. I think you, you might readjust who you're asking it to. I mean, you, you obviously want to ask questions for a reason, right? And once you are scaling to the point where you don't, you know you have product market fit, there might be other situations where you're, for example, going after a new vertical. Right. So do I have product market fit in that new vertical, new geography? Do I have product market fit in that new geography, new persona? Right. So do I have an in, in slash use case? Do I have product market fit in that new persona or use case? And even new major like product releases. Right. And so you, you launch this new product and you kind of want to get a test for. Now, the beauty of it is the more customers you have, the more you can just sample size down and you don't need to send it to everybody and bother everyone and so on. I think it is definitely most critical when you're searching for the initial product market fit. But I think you can keep leveraging this question throughout because product market fit isn't a one and done sort of thing. Like as things evolve and markets changes and product changes, you, you, you may or may not have product market fit in different parts of your business. 
I wonder how effective it would be for major feature releases as well. So, you know, you've introduced a new feature, you want to find out, you know, not, not, it's not really the product market fit, but it's the value. I guess it is. Um, could you ask that exact same question to your existing users, freemium customers, you know, if this feature didn't exist, you know, how disappointed would you be in it? And I don't know if people are doing that or they're largely thinking about this more as a, as a holistic approach to product market fit. But I wonder how specific you could start getting with this, uh, this strategy. I think you could get specific. I do think one of the values of this, and we'll talk later, I think about different metrics, but it's a really non-hypothetical question. Like it, or even if it is hypothetical, very easy to wrap your head around, right? So as a user of takes, like if you just think about yourself, right? And you use a product like Gmail or Google, let's say Google, everybody uses Google. And you ask, how disappointed would you be if Google went away? You know the answer right away. You don't have to think about it. Like NPS, where it's one to 10, like, and I know you have to think about how likely are you to recommend Google one to 10? You're like, I don't know, maybe it's a seven, maybe it's a nine. And that thinking like loses some of the validity of, in my opinion, of the question, right? The fact that it's a gut reaction, gut answer gives it more credibility. And so the more specific you get about a specific feature, the more careful you have to be, you know, who you're asking that question to, because it should be, you launch a new feature and maybe it's the set of users that's really heavy using that feature so that the question makes sense to them and they have a gut reaction answer. Versus thinking like, oh, right, that feature. Oh, yeah, I don't, uh, I guess I would be very disappointed. Like, well, you know, it should have just come to you right away, ideally. So, so let's, let's dive into those related metrics. You know, what would you say are the, the ones that, that provide context and, you know, people should be looking at as well to really understand this, this Sean Ellis test? So I think the obvious one to talk about, which I just alluded to is, you know, net promoter score NPS. And so that's, on a, on a range of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend this product? And you have, uh, you know, promoters, which are like nine or tens and detractors, like six or below. And then you, subs, you know, subtract your promoters by your detractors and that's your NPS zero to hundred or whatever. And that question is fine. I think that's, I think what you're really getting at there is not so much product market fit, but, you know, it's kind of word of mouth thing, which is, which is also important and related. You would want both of those to trend the same way. I mean, generally speaking, to have more people be very disappointed as you NPS goes up. Where they differ is, I, I think they diverge on a few points. That, and this is why I think Sean Ellis test is, is, even though NPS is probably more known for an early stage founder, Sean Ellis test is more important because product market fit is more important than word of mouth, even though they're both important. They diverge in a few places, right? Like you take NPS and where would you have high NPS, but not product market fit? Just as a thought experiment. Well, one thing that affects NPS a lot is customer success, customer service. So you might imagine you go through an airline, let's say WestJet, just to put a name on it, and they treat you super well. And then you walk out, you get an email. It's like, hey, how likely would you be to recommend WestJet? Like, oh, nine or 10, because they just treated me super well. The reality is there's no product market fit there. Next time you go and pick a flight, you're going to pick the shortest time and money, and that's the one you're going to go with. If WestJet went away, you probably wouldn't be that disappointed. Right, but they just give you great customer service, so like you would recommend it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good example. Uh, now you've picked another one that is survey based. What about sort of behavioral metrics? I'm like I'm thinking about you know somebody comes to the website, they read your positioning and your messaging. There's a ratio there about how many people then start a trial or an account, right? So is is that something as well that should sort of indicate 
whether there's initial interest in the promise of what you're talking about. And then, you know, you go further down the funnel and you look at activation, you know, then you look at engagement and even conversion. So, you know, are you, are you also looking at those things or even retention and ex expansion? So are those also valuable ones or does that come later in the, uh, in the journey? I think in terms of data that you don't have to survey out, churn is, is the obvious one that we often think about in the context of product market fit is are the customers that, because product market fit is taking away the marketing side of it to an extent, right? It's once people have the product and they're paying you and using it, how strong is that fit? Like how strong is really that need? And there are symptoms of it. Like typically if you have high product market fit, you will get a lot of inbound because you have so many people desperate for the solution to that pain because the pain is so extreme and so on. But churn is an obvious one. So those should very much be correlated. I mean, your churn, it'd be very weird for you to, or or if you, if they don't, you have to understand why. Like maybe you're selling to the wrong audience, right? So that's where we talked about segmenting and you say, okay, this, these are the people where my fit is strongest. You should also see retention be strongest within that cohort. So that's a good one. Even top, but then also I think top of the, top of the funnel is interesting as well. Like whether it's just even a simple, again, these are small companies, right? So like the tracking ability is, is, probably limited and even number of customers. Like there is a mismatch there to be think, think about, which is really great product one could fit. And like in terms of the Sean Ellis test and number of customers not increasing that fast or the converse, right? Number of customers increasing really fast and yet you're failing Sean Ellis. I don't know what the answer is. It depends by the use case, but that's something interesting to dig into. So we're, yeah, really fascinating and uh, kind of coming up to maybe wrapping up. But before we do that, can you think of an, a specific example, maybe from one of your portfolio companies or a company you've seen where kind of the data they got from the Sean Ellis test enabled them to pivot, to change direction, to double down on a segment and, and actually find product market fit faster or better? Well, you know, there's an example of a company that's right now got it alluded to and I won't, without naming it just for the sake of it, like they have been growing. So they're a post-seed company. They've been, I would say, doubling every year, but they're still small, right? They're still in this one to 2 million ARR range. They sell B2B SaaS. And so they have a few hundred customers. And the big question has been like, how come mainly outbound led? So how come, you know, we converted decent ratios. We grow every single month. We're pretty high retention, but we have, we have not found a way to really take off, right? We have not found a way to really explode. Doubling is good, but we want to triple 4X per year just because we're still small. That's where this is interesting, right? And, and they have a lot of users and history of, let's say, two or three years of, of having sold into this same vertical. They're starting to use this metric in order to figure out what do we do here? Is it, what is it that should we, is it a thing about moving up market, for example? Is there a segment of customers where the fit is strongest that we should go after them? Or are we just failing on, on product market fit and we need to do make some changes to the product to really get there to that very disappointed zone in order for us to go from this doubling to like this tripling and really feel like there's crazy pull from the market. Pablo, thank you so much. This has been uh, a journey of, of fit and, and wisdom and segmenting. Um, I think this is something that everybody should take a, a deep look at and, and, and likely multiple times over, you know, the course of their product uh, evolution and maturity. So thank you very much. And everybody check out the Sean Ellis test. And again, uh, thank you for joining us today on uh, Metric Stack.
If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.